We are recording this for people who are not here, cannot be here, uh, putting these on our website. So uh, we're going to begin tonight uh, by looking at number seven in nine of the uh, sections of the, pe- of the uh, covenant. And tonight we're looking at the penalties. To define penalty in our language today or any language as far as that, ma- that goes, even in the uh, uh, Old Testament, penalty is a punishment for a crime or an offense, forfeit for non-fulfillment of conditions, some to be, S-U-M, to be forfeited or a fine of some sort. We've examined five of the seven parts of the covenant, and we've seen the parties, the precepts, the promises, the piercing, and the participation. There are three left. After tonight, there will be two. Tonight, we're going to look at the penalties for breaking the covenant, and in the next chapter, we'll look at the, uh, the pardon that comes with uh, all of these sections of the covenant. Every, every covenant we know contains penalties <clears throat> for breaking it, for not continuing in it. And even as we look around in our world today, we have jails and prisons that testify to that because you break covenants or agreements or laws, there will be a consequence to pay. Uh, one of the best examples I have found is in the uh, Mosaic Covenant. And I want you to turn here with me and follow along. We're going to be looking at quite a bit of scripture tonight, and I don't apologize for that. But in Deuteronomy 27, we're going to begin there. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 27, and I like how verse 9, that's where we're going to start, verse 9 starts out by saying these words, be silent, O Israel, and listen. Now, I find that that'd be a wonderful way to start a sermon. Shut up and listen. <laughs> not Maybe not quite that emphatic, but... That's what they said. Be silent and listen, O Israel. Uh, Then they start out with some good news. At least I think it's good news. As we start to read through here, he says, This day, in verse 9, this day you have become a people for the Lord. In verse 10, you shall therefore obey the Lord your God and do his commandments and his statutes which I command you. It's good, I believe, to be called or referred to as God's people if we remain faithful, if we do his commands. Now, beginning in verse 11, Moses names six of the tribe leaders who are to read the promises or the blessing of the blessing of the covenant from Mount Gerizim. And in verse 13, he names the other six tribe leaders who are to give the penalties or the cursing for disobedience, and they are given these from Mount Ebal. Let's start in verse 15 and notice some things here. The Levites begin giving a series of curses. Cursed is the man who makes an idol or a molten image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of craftsmen, and sets it up in secret And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. They agree to this. 
But I'm sure that the people gave a hearty amen to the idea that anyone who breaks any part of the covenant should bear the curse that God calls for. They probably continued with a hearty amen to all of the disobediences that are mentioned here in these verses. In verse 16, dishonoring your father and mother. Amen. Moving your neighbor's property marker. Verse 17. Again, amen. Misleading a blind person on the road. Verse 18. Again, amen. Cheating an alien, an orphan, or a widow. In verse 19. Again, they would say amen. Having sexual relationships with a father's, your father's wife. Verse 20. And again, they would say amen to that. In verse 21, having sexual relations with an animal. Sounds grotesque, but people did it. Again, they would say amen. In verse 22, having sexual relationships with his sister, a man's sister. Again, they said amen. And it goes on because there seem to be a lot of sexual sins taking place here. In verse 23, even having sexual relationships with a man's mother-in-law. Verse 24, striking his neighbor in secret. And again, they say, Amen. In verse 25, the last one, accepting a bribe to kill an innocent person. Verse 25, they say, Amen. Now we can almost hear, as these are read, the children of Abraham as, as a large group shouting out, Amen, to all of these. But I wonder if they said, Amen maybe a little less uh, enthusiastic when we begin reading in verse uh, 26. Cursed is he who does not confirm or conform the words of this law by doing them. And all the people said, Amen. You see, it's one thing to say, don't commit adultery. I have no problem with that. Amen, let's not commit adultery. It's one thing to say, uh, don't lie and steal. Fine, I will not lie and steal. It's another thing to say, do this. Wait a minute, you're asking me to do something? Not so hearty of an amen. The reason I think preachers didn't get as hearty of an amen in this section of Scripture is because there's a difference between sins of omission and sins of commission. And we know what the difference is. I hope you do. A sin of commission is lying, stealing, cheating, murder, whatever it might be. A sin of omission is, oh, I don't have to be as faithful as the elders expect me to be. So I won't be there two weeks out of the month. That's a sin of omission. That is, we're omitting certain things out of our life that we don't think are necessary. We have a tendency many times to believe in something that God commanded us not to do, like bowing to an idol. I don't think any one of us here would bow to an idol, at least knowingly, because it's more wicked than it is to not obey what God commands us to do, like loving our neighbor. But notice that God considers both acts as being defiance, disobedience. They both result in, in being a curse under God's law. God expected all of the precepts to be obeyed every one of them, in the way that God had laid them out, not just the negative ones. If we don't obey all the commands of God, 
of the covenant that he's given to us, we will be under a curse. What is the biggest curse you can think of for man's disobedience? Going to hell. There's nothing, I, I say greater than that, and what I mean is there's nothing more, more horrible than a person dying here and going to a Christless eternity forever. Not just a million years or a couple million, but forever. The Apostle Paul agrees with this when he writes in Galatians 3.10, under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, he says, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform to perform them. We are to perform in life. Now we continue reading the promises of blessing that were delivered at Gerizim in Deuteronomy 28, beginning of verse number 1. Deuteronomy 28, jump there with me if you will. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 28, beginning of verse number 1. He says, now it shall be, if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commands, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. In verse 2, he says, all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. Now in verses 3 through 14, I'm not going to read all this. I'm just going to give you a little synopsis of what this is, is talking about here. It gives, gives them all the promises of the blessings that, that the covenant contains. In verses 15 through 44, God tells them of all the curses that are going to come on them if they break the precepts of this covenant. But jumping down to verse 45 through 48, we notice this. So all these curses came shall come on you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed, because you would not obey the Lord your God by keeping his commandments and his statutes, which he commanded you. They shall become a sign and a wonder on you and your descendants forever, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you, in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in the lack of all things. And he will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. It's pretty obvious here that God takes very serious any infraction against his covenant. God was very serious in sending his son, and he's very serious as well in us keeping and holding to and obeying what he's given for us to follow. And they're not given to us because he's just a mean God and wants to see us sweat. But they're for our benefit, they're for our good. And if we don't see heaven as good, we're missing something important. But in verses 49 to 57, he tells them how God will bring nations against them to overtake them, to besiege them, and how they will eat their own children and stay alive. In verse 58, we continue reading. He says, If you are not careful to observe all the words of this law, which are written in this book, to fear this honored and awesome name, the Lord your God, 
then the Lord will bring extraordinary plagues on you and your descendants, even severe and lasting plagues and miserable and chronic sicknesses. He will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt, which you were afraid, and they will cling to you. Also, every sickness and every plague, which not written in the book of the law, the Lord will bring on you until you are destroyed. Then you shall be left few in number, whereas you were as numerous as the stars of heaven, because you did not obey the Lord your God. It shall come about that as the Lord delighted over you to prosper you and multiply you, excuse me, so the Lord will delight over you to make you perish and destroy you, and you will be torn from the land where you are entering to possess it. Verse 64, Moreover, the Lord will scatter you among all the peoples from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, and there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone, which you and your fathers have not known. Among those nations you shall find no rest, and there will be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing of eyes, and despair of soul. So your life shall hang in doubt before you, and you will be in dread night and day, and shall have no assurance of your life. God knows, and I found this to be interesting as I read this again, God knows the very end of all things from the very beginning of all things. Wherever time started, some eight, 10,000 years ago, until God comes back, Christ breaks through the sky, He returns to take home His church, His bride, God knows every minute within that time frame. You see, the Bible calls that, and I'm sure you've heard this word, foreknowledge of God. Scripture also uses the word predestination. I want to make something clear here. Understand that there is a difference between biblical predestination and Calvinistic predestination. The Bible was written so that man can understand it. It was written in such a way that our, our little minds can at least grasp some of the things, many of the things that are there, and comprehend them. But looking at it from man's perspective, it's called foreknowledge. It's called predestination. Only because man lives under the dome of time. You see, God does not live under the dome of time where he says, Oh, tomorrow I have to be here or there. God doesn't live in time. He's over time. He's above time. We understand that those words are Time words, foreknowledge, predestination. God is outside of time, and with Him, everything happens in His present moment. How long is eternity? We have to put a time element to it. It is forever time without end, we say. I had a secretary in uh, Mount Vernon, Ohio, when I was preaching up there, and uh, her and her husband were... Uh, very serious member. She was the secretary of the church. And I remember I went to camp for a week and I got a call while I was there that she was in a car accident and she was killed. 
And I remember doing that, that funeral, and uh, I remember talking to her husband. His name was Ron. Her name was Doris. And uh, I said, Ron, do you know how long she's been in heaven? And the first thing he did was look at his watch. And I said, no. She's been there forever. Once you step out of time, if you're in hell or in heaven, you are now there forever. You can't say, I got here last week in heaven. Because there's no last week or a minute ago, and there's no tomorrow. It is an eternity that lasts for eternity. Jesus said, I am. He is the great I am. He said, before Abraham was, I am. And that doesn't fit into our minds as well, because for a person to say, before Abraham was, a time frame, I am even right now. That doesn't fit our mind. English teachers would have a problem with trying to lay that out in in a, a diagram on the chalkboard. But either he was saying something pretty deep when he said that, or Jesus needed a serious grammar lesson to understand even his own. I suggest the first one. He said something deep. The Jews knew exactly what he was claiming when he said it, and that's why the next verse says that they picked up stones to stone him. They were going to kill him because he was claiming to be God. He lives in the present continually, outside of space, outside of time. Therefore, with him, it is not foreknowledge, it's simply knowledge. It is not predestination, it is simply destination. Just because God knows the decisions we will make tomorrow does not mean we are taken out of free will to make a choice. Calvinists will make the error of forcing God into a time-space realm of some sort, Uh, but he sees the end and he sees the beginning. How? You're asking the wrong person that question. But he knows the choices we'll make. And I believe that's why he sends people like you and I into certain people's lives to be an influence to help them come out of a sinful lifestyle. Now, this was the case with the children of Israel. And God entered into a covenant with them. And he knew, he knew, he saw that they would break his covenant. But they still had the choice as to whether or not they would. It was simply up to them. Look at what God told Moses in Deuteronomy 31. Turn there with me, if you will. Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy 31, beginning at verse number 16. He says, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers, that is, they were going to die, And this people will arise and play the harlot with strange gods of the land into the midst of which they are going and will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day and I will forsake them and hide my face from them and they will be consumed and many evils and troubles will come upon him. You see, God could see that they were going to break his covenant. God knew that. He would do uh, to them what he told them he would do if they broke it, and they were going to have some very difficult times. And this is how God knew he would 
they would also be sieged and, and taken over by their enemy, and there would be devastating effects that would come on them as a result of their disobeying God. They would eat their own children. Now listen to this. Deuteronomy 28, verse 27 mentions that. Were these curses that, that, that we read from Mount Ebal, were they, ever, were they ever fulfilled? Yes, they were. If you read any commentary, you'll see very quickly that they were fulfilled on, on several occasions in the Scriptures. The Wycliffe Bible commentary says this. Old Testament history witnessed successive executions of this curse, and it was finally exhausted in the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentary says this. Such were the dreadful extremities to which the inhabitants during the siege were reduced that according to the testimony of Josephus, and Josephus was a great historian who wrote his history. He wasn't influenced by... Uh, either side, Christian or non-Christian, he simply wrote history as it was laid out. Uh, according to the testimony of Josephus, many women sustained a wretched existence by eating the flesh of their own children. Matthew Henry, another commentator, writes these words. He says, This threatening was fulfilled in the letter of it more than once to the perpetual reproach of the Jewish nation." Never was the like done either by Greek or barbarian, but in the siege of Samaria, a woman boiled her own son, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 28. And it is spoken of as commonly done among them in the siege of Jerusalem by the Babylonians, Lamentations 4.10. And in that siege by the Romans, Josephus tells us of a, a noble woman that killed and ate her own child, through the extremity of the famine, and when she had eaten only half secretly, that she might have it to herself, the mob smelling meat got into her house, to whom she showed the other half, which she had kept until another time, she invited them in to share. What is too barbarous for those to do that are abandoned of God? Unquote. God warned them. God warned them that he would do these things to them, with them, at them. And when they broke his covenant, they found out that God did not lie. He already knew that they would break the covenant. Because again, he sees everything from the beginning to the end. Therefore, if God does not follow through with the curses he promised on mankind, he would be reduced to a liar. And God is not a liar. When God gives penalties, penalties of consequence for breaking the covenant, whether the old or the new, we can count on him being faithful to what he promised he would do. Now, turn to Leviticus chapter 26, if you would. Leviticus chapter 26. We're going to begin reading at verse number 3. And I'm going to read a lengthy section of Scripture here. And we're almost done here. Leviticus 26, beginning of verse number 3. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so as to carry them out, 
Then I shall give you rains in their season, so that the land will yield its fruit, and the trees of the field will bear their fruit. He tells them they will have food, all, that, all they need, verse 5. Peace in the land, verse 6. Victory over their enemies. But if they don't keep his commandments, God's going to give the lengthy penalty for disobedience. Now, beginning of verse number 14. He says, but if you do not obey me and do not carry out all these commandments, if instead you reject my statutes and if your soul abhors my uh, ordinances so as not to carry out all my commandments and so break my covenant, I in turn will do this to you. I will appoint you a sudden terror, consumption, and fever that will waste away the eyes and cause the soul to pine away. Also, you will sow your seed uselessly, for your enemies will eat it up. I will set my face against you so that you will be struck down before your enemies. And those who hate you will rule over you. And you will flee when no one is pursuing you. If also after these things you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will also, verse 25, I will also bring upon you a sword which will execute vengeance for the covenant. Yet if in spite of this you do not obey me, but act with hostility against me, then I will act with wrathful hostility against you. And I, even I, will punish you seven times for your sins. Further, you will eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters you will eat. I then will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and heap your remains on the remains of your altars, your idols. For my soul shall abhor you. I will lay waste your cities as well and I will make your sanctuaries desolate. I will not smell your soothing aromas and make the land desolate so that your enemies will settle in it, will be appalled over it. You, however, I will scatter among the nations and will draw out a sword after you as your land becomes desolate and your cities become waste. Verse 43, For the land will be abandoned by them and will make up for its Sabbaths while it is made desolate without them. They, meanwhile, will be making amends for their iniquity because they rejected my ordinances and their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet in spite of this, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them, nor will I so abhor them as to destroy them, breaking my commandment with them, for I am the Lord their God. But I will remember them, for them, the covenant with their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations." That I might be their God, I am the Lord. These are the statutes and ordinances and laws which the Lord established between himself and the sons of Israel through Moses at Mount Sinai. These Jews were very familiar and they, they probably knew these penalties and promises almost by heart. They knew the, the law of Moses like the back of their hand, because these young children were taught these things and memorized these things from the time they were little until they became adults. Daniel even spoke of the fulfillment of these curses when he prayed for his nation in Daniel 9, 
verses 14 through nine, or 4 through 19. I want you to look at what he says there. And we're almost done. He said, look, uh, he says, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned, he says, committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame, as it is to this day. To the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away in all the countries to which you have driven them because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. In verse 9, to the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness. For we have rebelled against him, nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings which he set before us, through us, uh, through his servants, the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice, so the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for which for we have sinned against him. Thus, he has confirmed his words, which he had spoken against us and, our, uh, uh, and against our rulers who ruled us to bring on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done to Jerusalem. Now, the passage goes on telling how God sent uh, Gabriel to tell Daniel about the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, who, is, who would establish his covenant with his people. And in Daniel chapter 9, verse 11, it says there, the oath that is written in the law of Moses. Now, the word oath means a swearing or taking an oath of promise. And it refers to a promise of the covenant, an oath of cursing for disobedience, and an oath of promise for keeping and maintaining those things of God that he has commanded. And Daniel was wise enough to see that the curses of Deuteronomy 27 and 28 and Leviticus 26 had already come on the nation. He saw that. He prophesied concerning that. And so he confessed these sins in the name of the whole people, and he earnestly prayed to God for mercy. He knew that even though the covenant had penalties, when a certain group of people commit sins that cause those curses to come, that doesn't mean we're going to pay the price of those who failed in that covenant. Because we can repent, we can get right, we can do the things of God now, learning from those who are disobedient, and God will give us pardon. And that's what we enjoyed today as we, as we go through the Word of God, and as we see the things that are written there, that you and I can daily, every single day that we live, 
we can turn and repent, recognizing the things of God to be the best, the greatest. And we are in need of that great Savior. God gives pardon, but oh how we need to remember and hold on to the very true fact that if we do not hold to the things of God, curses will be on us. We're going to sing an invitation hymn tonight. And my prayer is that church, we, we stay faithful. We do the right thing. We keep the commands of God, even though they're difficult. And sometimes we, we feel like we don't have to hold on to them quite so tightly. We can be a little more loose in our living when it comes to the things of God. Let's stand and sing our hymn of decision. If you need to make one tonight, I pray you do that before we leave here today.